welcome to the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm the pastor of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. This is episode 17 and is from the service for October 15th, 2023. The scripture lesson is Exodus 32, verses 1 through 14, and the sermon is entitled, What Were You Thinking? We hope you enjoy the episode. Our scripture lesson for tonight comes from the gospel, sorry, it comes from the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of Benjamin, not in your room, sir. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he had planned to bring on his people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So life is full of regrets. 
it is full of dumb decisions that we wish we could take back. When I was a junior in college, I did my study abroad in the USSR. And that September, uh, it was in the fall of 1988, they took us down to Azerbaijan for, um, for a week. That was at that time a republic within the USSR. And so we all piled on a train and rode two days down to Baku. And in one of the day trips that they took us around the city, they took us to an ancient Zoroastrian shrine and showed us the, the places where the Zoroastrians had had fire, fire ceremonies and, and so on. And in the middle of this shrine, of this ancient site, was a spring of water bubbling up. And I asked the tour guide, I said, is this water clean? And the tour guide insisted that it was. And as it was a hot day and I was thirsty, I drank copiously from this fountain. Well, I learned my lesson on the two-day train ride all the way back to Moscow, where I and a stack of Pravda newspapers became quite closely uh, connected. And all I could think was every time I told someone what had happened, that I had drunk this water, they would say, what were you thinking? You're in a third world country practically in Azerbaijan and you're just drinking random water that bubbles out of the street. I said, oh, I asked the man, he said it was clean. I guess those things are relative. And in hindsight, you ask yourself, what was I thinking? And the only answer it's a common answer, I suppose, that we often have as well. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And I wonder if there is something of that going on in this story that we heard from Exodus a few moments ago. So the scene is that Moses has gone up the mountain. He's been up the mountain talking with God. God has been revealing the law to him. Now, this is chapter 34. Right. And um, and so God or 32. So Moses has been up there for 12 chapters. <laughs> He's been up there since before chapter 20, when the Ten Commandments are issued. So he's been up there hanging out for 12 chapters of the book of Exodus, receiving the law, receiving the law. And the text tells us it's been 40 days and 40 nights. Right. Which is biblical language for a long enough time. And it's not unreasonable that the people would start to get anxious after 40 days and 40 nights of Moses being away. But it's interesting what their reaction is. The reaction is, hey, Aaron, can you make us an idol that we can worship since we don't know what happened to Moses? Now, in hindsight, we look at this and ask, what were you thinking? I mean, you had just come out of the Red Sea. You had just come up out of Egypt. You had seen what the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had done. You had seen the mighty deeds with an outstretched arm and pillar and fire that God had done. And, you know, it's been a month and a half. And now you're like, well, I don't know. That maybe isn't working out for us. Can we... Can we have a, an idol instead? And Aaron agrees to this idea, which Aaron has a lot to answer for in this story, because Aaron is the ancestor of all the high priests, 
of all the Kohanes, of all the priestly class, they are all Aaron's descendants. So Aaron has got some responsibility here to set a good precedent, and he blows it. He agrees. In fact, he tells the people, all right, well, bring all your gold. And he makes this mold, and he makes this calf, and they hold it up, and they have this whole bacchanalia around it. Well, I mean, that's at least what Cecil B. DeMille would have us think, right? I mean, they're all kind of in the Ten Commandments sort of writhing around in orgiastic fashion around this idol that they have built. And interestingly, they even say, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, even the grammar betrays what they're doing. Because even though God's name in Hebrew is plural, the verbs with it are always singular. Except here, when it says, these are your gods, it could be this is your God, but then it follows with a plural verb, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they have already sort of regressed. And even the golden calf is a sign, right? Because the golden calf or the calf was a common deity in the ancient Near East. And a common deity even in Egypt. So this is almost like the Israelites themselves were saying, what were we thinking? We, we were better off in Egypt. We should have just stayed there, worshipped their gods, rather than got dragged out here into the wilderness and left for dead by our leader. It's around this time that God tells Moses what's going on. Right? There's something going on. They have made a golden calf. Right? They, have, they have forsaken me already. And God asks a question of God's own self, which is something like, what was I thinking? Right? What was I thinking? This stiff-necked people. Right? This is a line that will repeat throughout the Hebrew Bible to describe the Israelites. Stiff-necked. Moses will use it. The prophets will use it. God will use it. They all use it. Jesus uses it to describe the people. It, they're just stuck in their ways, and they won't change. And so God's like, I made a mistake. I, I sh I'm just going to destroy them all, and Moses, I'll just start over with you and your descendants. I'll make a nation out of you. Whereupon Moses says, what are you thinking? <laughs> Why would you do that? Because you know what will happen is all the Egyptians will say, oh, their God just took them out to the wilderness to kill them all. I mean, how is that going to make you look? This is what's so interesting about the Jewish tradition is that people often argue with God and appeal to God's reputation. How's it going to look if at the end of the day, it just looks like to everyone that you can't be trusted? I mean, you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you would give their make their descendants as numerous as the grains of sand on the beach and that they would inherit the land. And now you're just going to wipe them all out except for me? So God says, okay, uh, I, I won't do it. I mean, it's there's a whole other sermon about that dynamic between Moses and God in this. But it's interesting to me that this will not, will not be the only time of divine regret. God, earlier in the Noah story, at the beginning, regrets that he had ever made human beings. And then after the flood, regrets that he had flooded the world. Maybe that was too much, he kind of says to himself. I won't do that again. 
And so re divine regret has been a part of the story, but human regret always seems to be there. It's this hindsight calling us out and saying, what were you thinking? Why would you make a golden calf mere 40 days after you had seen God's power and glory? Why on earth would you worship Baal once you got into the land? Why on earth would you, O Solomon, marry 600 women, most of whom are pagan, and start building pagan shrines around the country? Why would you not follow the law? What were you thinking when you were ignoring the commandments to take care of the poor and the orphan and the widow and the stranger? God's entire relationship with Israel seems to be something like, what were you thinking? I mean, it's a question we can ask ourselves a lot. I mean, our lives are often full of mistakes we have made, regrets that we have about the choices we made or the words that we said or the options we elected. Regrets are a common theme. And I don't think that so long as human beings ever have free will, that we will ever have a regret-free life, that we will ever live lives that are free of the question, what were you thinking? But I don't think the goal ultimately is to be able to have a regret-free life. I think the goal is to learn from the mistakes. Right? I, for one, will never drink water out of a fountain in Baku ever again. But there are more significant things, bigger mistakes that we've made that help us to avoid causing pain to others further down the road. As I reflect a lot on the events of this past week, I can't help but think that if we haven't learned the lesson by now, that violence only begets more violence, then we haven't learned a thing. If we do not imagine that at this very moment, some child in the Gaza Strip is nurturing a grudge that will grow up into hatred, that will then be exacted upon some other person, and then will continue the cycle, we have not learned anything. I don't know what the answers are always, but I know that keep keeping doing the same thing yields nothing. I mean, it's that old line that the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. We are called to learn, right? Israel in Sinai is called to learn from its mistake, to learn from the grace that is extended to them in spite of their mistake. When generations upon generations later, the Israelites are captured and taken into captivity in Babylon, they will reflect on that. And they will say it was because we made the wrong choices. We didn't do justice. We didn't take care of the poor and the widow and the orphan and the stranger. 
We sold the needy for a pair of sandals. We oppressed the immigrant and the stranger. That's why we wound up in this situation. They learned, they sought to understand, and they learned even more powerfully in that experience that the God who would lead them out of their peril was not just their God, that that God's love was not limited to Israel alone, but was the God of the whole world, whether they knew it or not. All people were made in the image of God. It's highly instructive that in the middle of one of the greatest national crises in ancient Israel's history, the people's city and land were utterly destroyed and they were carried off into captivity, that it was then, in that moment, that they likely wrote the very creation story that insisted that all people were made in the image of God. They could have gone the other way. They could have said, well, all the Israelites are made in the image of God, but these Babylonian bastards, they're not. Or these Persians or whoever they are, they're lesser than us because they did such pain to us. Instead, they learned and they expanded and they went in a new and radical direction that embraced something greater than what had been done before. Now, it feels somewhat sacrilegious for me to try to pivot from talking about the experiences of both biblical and modern Israel to Star Trek, but I'm going to do it. Because in one of the lesser installations of Star Trek, Captain Kirk is confronted with the possibility that he could be for, he could let go of all the pain he has ever experienced in his life. All the regrets he could just they could just be washed away. And this this technique that is being offered to him is very, very useful because it kind of has created this cult of people who follow this leader around who is able to just make their pain go away. And Kirk resists. He says, what are you telling me? Like, that I should have gone left when I went right? I know that. He said, but I need my pain. It's part of who I am. It's made me the person that I am. And so for what is a pretty terrible movie, there's a really great theology in that, because the point is not to purge ourselves of all experiences of our own sinfulness. It is to learn from them. It is to weave them into a tapestry that helps us to move forward. If we went right when we should have gone left, then the next time we go left. But we would only know that because we went the wrong way before. If we hurt someone through a an idle word or through careless behavior, then we learn from that. We incorporate that. We make it part of us and we move forward. See, this is the thing about forgiveness that people often forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you pretend the thing never happened. It means that you simply don't give it the power to control what your response is going to be. 
You don't deny that someone wronged you or hurt you. You just say, I am choosing not to let that act. Tell me how to respond. And I am not going to perpetuate a cycle of recrimination and accusation and harm when I can just forgive. So here we are in our own lives in a wilderness experience, like the Israelites, between the oppression of Egypt and the promised land, we are in the in-between space. We will make those mistakes. We will act in ways that will cause ourselves and others to say, what were you thinking? And we may not have good answers, but we are offered through grace the opportunity to amend, to try again, to do it differently the next time. And in so doing, we continue that journey through the wilderness on toward the promised land. Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you'll join us again soon.